0: Evidence and Answers. When sharing your faith, you may encounter a hostile or domineering adversary. How can a Christian engage such a person effectively while remaining gracious and loving? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat and his guest, Greg Kokel, president of Stand to Reason, will be sharing tactics you can apply to effectively present your case for the gospel of Christ. Now with part two is our host, Pat Sukren, and his guest, Greg Kokel.
1: And I tell audiences now that, look, I I promise you, I'm going to give you a game plan that will allow you to converse with confidence in any situation, really, no matter how little you know, or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be. That's how powerful the game plan is. However, if you don't do it, it don't work. This is another part. This is the second part. If you don't do it, it don't work. So the way you get better at anything is first you got to learn the right way to do it, and then you have to start doing it. What I like about the tactical game plan is that the start doing it part, well, that means engaging people in the conversation. Well, yes. Well, that sounds scary. Oh, you read the book. It's not that scary. Because what I invite people to do is kind of get in at the shallow end of the pool. What I said earlier, you don't even have to get on base. Just get into the batter's box. The game plan will allow you to do that. I mean, think about this, Pat. Think of what risk is there when the Christian asks the non-Christian, what do you mean by that? Just like you did with the attorney. Well, you're not at any risk. You're just getting more information. You're not on the spot. You're not in the hot seat. That's easy. I recommend the second question, too, after they clarify their view. We can ask them, okay, how did you come to that conclusion? Now, what's the risk there for the Christian? There's no risk. The Christian is being a student in both steps. Now, there's a third step I mentioned. You use questions to make a point. That's a little more advanced because you have to know the point you're trying to make. You have to see the flaw. Don't worry about that. Just start out with the first two questions. Just start out being a student of other people's point of view. You're not out there to evangelize. I mean, forget about that for the time being. You're not out there to win people to Christ. Forget about that. You're thinking about the end of the game when we're just at the kickoff. Forget about how the game ends. you got to focus on the play right in front of you. And so if, if our listeners here that may be a little bit timid or nervous, whatever, I get it. I understand that. If they just think about the game plan, even as I've just explained it here, you don't have to go to, the, you can go to our website at str.org, get information there, you can get the book, great. But even if you just take what I've said so far, young Christian, next time you are engaged in a conversation, just commit yourself to gathering information and finding out what other people believe. And if you do that, not only is there no risk on you, but there, you're going to learn two things very quickly. When you ask, what do you mean by that, and how did you come to that conclusion? You're going to learn, first of all, that people aren't as scary as you thought. Just let them talk, listen to what they have to say. The second thing that you'll learn, and I'm not putting anybody down here, but it's just my experience, people are not as smart as we thought either, especially when it comes to spiritual things. We look at other people, we think, oh, they're so smart, they got all these great ideas, these great reasons for rejecting what we believe. But when you start talking to them... It turns out that it becomes pretty clear that a lot of their ideas, they're not so good, and a lot of their reasons are not so sound. So that would be the way I'd say to get better at this, Pat. First, learn the basic steps, and then practice them. Get into play. Get off the bench. Get into the shallow end of the pool. Get into the batter's box. I'll mix my metaphors there. Just start doing it based on the guidelines that the book gives you. And people, I promise you, people will be amazed at what happens just with those first two
2: questions. Yeah, you know, it's a great question. How did you come to that conclusion? Or sometimes I'll say, well, how do you know that's true? Right. You know, and I think when I ask that question, I'm kind of looking for the evidence there. What do you have to support your position? Sure. And often people, you know, once they start thinking about it, they realize, wait a minute, I really don't have that much evidence for for my <laughs> position.
1: I'm chuckling because you're dead right on that one. They don't. In fact, I've had people tell me, and and I'm not making this up, I say, well, what's your reason for that? And they pause for a few minutes and they start thinking about it. And then they say, well, I I don't actually have a reason for that. And then I say, well, I have another question. They say, what's that? I said, why would you believe something is true when you have no reason to believe it's true? (laughs) And then they think about it again. They say, well, I don't have any reason for that either. (laughs) Isn't that amazing?
2: Yeah, and like you said in your book, they're doing all the work here, right? You know, and you're putting them in the hot seat instead of you constantly being in a hot seat and having to defend and, and give all these answers, now you've put them in the hot seat and they have to provide the evidence there.
1: Well, we've definitely put them in the more challenging position, but in a certain sense, I don't want it to be too hot for them. I don't want them to feel like, okay, I trapped them, gotcha kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I, I, because I'm trying to be amicable and friendly the entire time. And I try to to model that in the my voice and the questions here when we're doing these little role plays on the air. So yeah, it may put them in a little awkward position, but we're not trying to make them feel uncomfortable. We just want them to see that, yeah, they don't really have good reasons for their view and that should trouble them. And so in a certain sense, it is a little bit of the hot seat, but it's a hot seat in a good way.
2: Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, you don't have to hit the home run. Sometimes you can just end the conversation there yeah. and they go home thinking, well, Man, you know, I thought it was rock solid what I believe, but I I guess not. Maybe I want to look into it or yeah. maybe I want to think about what this guy was asking me here. Uh-huh.
1: You know what? Atheists do this to Christians all the time. And mm-hmm. Christians don't let on, but I know some of your your listeners have experienced this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get challenged by an atheist or some skeptic, some outsider, and uh, they're asked questions. Notice they're using the Colombo tactic, mm-hmm. and we don't know how to answer them. And so we're kind of stuck, and we say something to, you know, whatever, and we're not trying to show that we're rattled, but when we leave, we're walking away thinking exactly what you just said. Uh, what about that? Man, maybe he's got a point. Maybe I am mistaken or something like that. What has happened is the atheist has put the stone in the Christian's shoe. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, see, that works both directions. By us asking questions of ideas, of, of, of skeptics whose ideas are not well thought out, then we are getting them to think, too. And when they walk away, we may never see them again. But this is where God begins to work in their hearts based on the questions that we ask them.
2: Yeah, and like you said, you're tilling the soil. Right. And some of the soil may be really hard, and your questions there, and when you leave the conversation, they are now questioning what they believe is, yeah. is putting that pick or breaking that hard soil, and that's where it all begins. That's
1: the gardening, Exactly. Mm.
2: Yeah. And it's
1: not that hard when you have a game plan. That's why I keep wanting to underscore this. Uh, we encourage people all the time, get out, get out, share your faith, talk about Jesus, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we don't always give them useful tools. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes there's, we'll have a tract or something, and those are helpful, or we'll have a survey to ask people questions, which I think those are great, because that is the first step of the Colombo game plan, is to ask people questions about their own views. Okay, so that that's great. But if Christians are not given enough to kind of carry through the conversation, they are not going to feel confident enough and courageous enough to get out there and put themselves at risk. This is why I'm underscoring for everyone. Listen to Pat. You hear the show, you know we have good reasons for what we believe but at the same time how do we get those things into play this is where we need a bridge from the content to the conversation or from the scholarship to the relationship and the tactical game plan provides that bridge so if we have a three-step game plan and you can employ whatever steps are appropriate the person who begins to engage knows what he needs to do in any given situation and that awareness of, okay, what comes next, what do we do next, will breed a tremendous amount of confidence in the Christian to go into what might look like a scary situation, but in an innocuous way, asking these questions so there's no risk on them.
2: Yeah, you know, in my seminary class, when we get about halfway through the book, you know, one of their projects is to get out there and yeah. share their faith. And instead of me going saying, go out there and share your faith, I actually go tell them, go out there and ask your questions. Right. <laughs> you know, go out there and ask <laughs> your questions. Good for you. And when the students come back, I mean, many are surprised. They're like, Pat, you don't know how many doors that opened up, yeah. just asking questions. And the person actually turns around and goes, well, well what do you believe? Uh-huh. You know, and he goes, well, and I got an you know, opportunity to share the gospel right? Uh, just by, you know, beginning asking them what they believe and then asking some of these penetrating questions. Right. Yeah. Now, Greg, what are some common traps that Christians fall into? when they engage a hostile skeptic?
1: Well, I think the most common one, and I've just this will be a different kind of application of something I've already said, the most common thing that Christians fall into, or one of the most common, is that when a skeptic makes a charge or a challenge against Christians or Christianity, and it's in the form of a claim, like, for example, everything is relative, or in the fourth century, the Council of Nicaea changed the Bible, so it made it look like Jesus was the Son of God, or, or, or something like that. You know. Well, whenever you have a claim against Christianity, I think the first impulse of the Christian is that is to think that it is their job to refute the claim. All right, and this is the mistake. It isn't their job to refute the claim, according to the concept of burden of proof which is the responsibility for somebody to give evidence for a view, the rule is the person who makes the claim is the one who bears the burden of proof. Right. So the mistake is trying to disprove another person's point of view or feeling like you have to, and if you can't, then you're dead in the water. But feeling like you have to do that instead of requiring the non-Christian, the skeptic, to make give some accounting for the view themselves. And and this is where that question I mentioned earlier comes in. Okay, uh, how did you come to that conclusion? What are your reasons that you think that at the Council of Nicaea, the Bible was doctored in this way? Notice, by the way, that that's over 300 years, uh, 325, so maybe close to 400 years after the time of Christ. i say say 100 years after the whole corpus of the New Testament was finished being written. They're claiming that, Somebody was able to go all over the Mediterranean region and find all the handwritten copies of those portions of the New Testament that were circulating there and got in there and changed every single one of them So in a way that we don't even know what happened, and we've all been duped? I mean, that claim is pretty preposterous on its face when you think about what's involved. But you see, now I'm making a defense. Now I'm refuting the claim a little bit. I don't need to do that first. At first, all I need to do is ask them— why do you think that's what's happened at the Council of Nicaea? You know, we actually have the records of the Council of Nicaea. You can find it in Schaff's, S-C-H-A-F-F, Schaff's Creeds of Christendom. I have copies in my, my own library. You can read about who was there and what they said and what the vote was, 317 to 2, as it turns out. All of that's there, and there is no reference to the kind of changes that people claim were made at the infamous Council of Nicaea. I can make those points because I'm I'm a little bit lettered in some of those issues, but you don't have to make them if you're not lettered in that. In fact, it's better that you don't at first. The better thing to do is ask the question, how did you come to that conclusion? So don't make the mistake of bearing, essentially taking the burden of proof, or disproof in this case, on yourself, and therefore giving the other person a free ride, and they don't have to give any accounting at all, for, for their own point of view. Uh, one other thing, a mistake that Christians do, too, uh, I'll just toss this in briefly here, Pat, is that Christians sometimes get, they lose their temper. Right. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. and I understand this, look, especially if the person's a steamroller and they're interrupting a lot, whatever, it's easy to get crabby, all right? So here's the rule that I suggest people keep in mind. And the rule is, if I get mad, I lose. <laughs> hmm What if I don't get mad? The other person gets mad. All right. Well, if they get mad, I still lose. Put it simply, if anyone gets mad, then I lose. And by the way, this is a good principle in any relationship, not just communicating with others about Christianity, with friends, with spouses, family situations, a lot harder to apply in that circumstance. (laughs) You know that. This is a good principle. Keep it in mind. If anybody gets mad, I'm going to lose. So let's really go out of our way to keep the conversations genial that is friendly don't go on the attack use questions to keep things nice and even tempered and winsome and attractive because character is an important part of being a good ambassador for christ
2: yes you know and after i read your tactics book the first time i saw this implemented in jesus You know, when Jesus faced a hostile audience, often he returned their claim or their accusation, you know, with a question. Right. For example, when he, in Luke chapter 11, you know, when he healed the demon-possessed man, the scholars there, the Pharisees said, well, you know, he does it by the power of the devil, Bezabot. And Jesus said, well, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and divided households falls, and if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Right, exactly. Yeah. There's a
1: question. He's making a point. He's mm-hmm. showing a weakness or a flaw, but he's doing it with a question. You know, is the baptism of John of men or of God? All right, well, they were trapped. They didn't want to say of men because the people would be mad at him. But then if he said of God, then this is an indictment against them. Why did they believe in John the Baptist? So Jesus trapped them with a fair question. All right. By the way, Jesus asked over 300 questions. It was amazing how many questions he asked, and he used them very shrewdly. So there's no reason that we shouldn't be doing that as well.
2: Yes. Now, you know, Greg, I hear often people saying, well, you can't reason anyone like this into the kingdom. You know, all it is is the Holy Spirit, and if they don't want to hear it, well, I just walk away and let the Holy Spirit work on them.
1: Right. Well, that's a false dichotomy. You can't reason them into the kingdom. All it is is the Holy Spirit. It's not either or, okay? It isn't as if you're using reasoning or arguments, that somehow that's replacing the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're really trusting in the Holy Spirit, then you just give the simple gospel and love them, and that's all that the Holy Spirit is interested in using. Uh, The fact is that the statement, you can't argue somebody in the kingdom, is just flat-out false. It is absolutely false, because there are so many counterexamples of that. Think of J. Warner Wallace, uh, who some of your listeners might know, the author of the best-selling Cold Case Christianity. Cold Case detective that uh, used his detective skills as an atheist to apply to the New Testament, found it to be reliable eyewitness, and became a Christian. He was won to Christ through an argument. Frank Turk, you know, who's uh, cross examined, you know, a lot of people know Frank just from his book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Okay, well, he's another person. One to Christ through the evidence. Lee Strobel, one to Christ through the evidence. Over and over and over again, not just outside of the Bible, but inside of the Bible too. We have people that are persuaded by the reasons and by the evidence. What did the apostles first start preaching in the beginning of the book of Acts? They preached the resurrection. Well, the resurrection is evidence. That Jesus was who he claimed to be and in the very first sermon people were cut to the quick and they said what should we do well these people were one to Christ through an argument now the argument wasn't operating all by itself the Holy Spirit was involved obviously because no one can come to Christ apart from the work of the spirit the real question is what does the Holy Spirit use well the Holy Spirit Spirit can use the simple preaching of the gospel, can use acts of love and kindness and charity, and can also use a good argument, Mm -hmm. and he does all the time. So this is what. In fact, one last thought on this: in John chapter twenty, John tells exactly why he wrote the entire gospel. He put seven miracles in there, and he says there are many other miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus worked. I have not included, but these these have included, so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, have life in his name. So there's John saying, this is an argument, the whole gospel is an argument, and I'm trusting that God will use it to move you to faith in Christ.
2: Well, Greg, you you know, as we're bringing this show to an end here, you know, we're moving into the holiday season, and often there's the feared Uncle John, or the Uncle Fred, there we're going to have dinner with. Right. Uh, I think you call him the Steamroller yeah. in your book here. Yeah. And uh, well, how do you handle the Steamroller, that Uncle Fred or Uncle John, that's going to be there, you know, at Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner, you know, as we go into the holiday or the New Year's bash, and and Uncle right. Fred is going to be there. What do we do?
1: Well, Steamrollers chief characteristic defining characteristic is that they interrupt and uh, you try to respond to a challenge and bang you get interrupted again and then you respond to that and bang you get interrupted you're not making any headway and they're really annoying that's the kind of person that makes you the angriest in conversation so you got to really watch your temper level but I, i suggest i have three steps in the book and i'll just tell you the first one because usually this is all that's necessary it's just to kind of, as they're trying to jump in again, is just look them in the face and say, you know, hold on just a second. I'm, I'm not quite finished. I'd like to answer your first question. Are, are you interested in the answer to that? That's a question, right? So they mm-hmm. can say, well, yeah, I am. Well say, well, and how, can you give me a few seconds to, to respond to it, and then I'll let you come back. Will that be okay? And so there's just a little negotiation there in a friendly way, not in a nasty way, but in a friendly way. How about if I finish my my thought, and then I'll let you in. Will that work? Okay, most of the time that works. Now, if they get really harsh, you can go to the second step and and you basically do the same thing, but a little bit more aggressively. Say, hey, Uncle John, look, I I don't mind having a conversation with you. Every time I try to mention something or respond, you interrupt me and I can't get going. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you, could you please not do that? Um, Let me answer your charge and then I will give you a chance. Now, I, I can't if we can't if we can't do that. Uh, then, I, then I, we can't have a conversation. Okay, so that's a little stronger, right? But Uncle John's a strong guy. If you don't deal more har- strongly with the steamroller, you're going to get rolled over. But it's amazing how that little technique that I outline in the book on the tactic of steamroller can really take a very harsh person and harsh circumstance and tame it so you can have a reasonable discussion.
2: Yeah, fantastic. That's one of the things I like about the book. You know, when you study how Jesus engaged the unbelieving audience—you can't find an identical approach. Each one is different right. to the particular person or audience he was addressing. And you know, for you know, decades ago, the one approach worked. You know, whether it's uh, the four spiritual laws or the bridge or Step whatever, peace
1: with God. Yeah. yeah,
2: and and those are great uh, presentations of the gospel. You know, but with tactics, you can get one that really adjust to each situation right and exactly. uh, each each particular audience uh, yeah, those you know. yeah
1: those are harvesting tools those are about mm-hmm. getting getting to getting getting to sign on the dotted line close the deal and a lot of times most of the times you're not in a harvest situation and so what do you do then you got a garden and how do you garden you garden using a plan you do some spade work and that's what the tactical game plan is all about
2: yeah that's why i highly recommend tactics i think one of the best books for evangelism in our post christian culture today so Greg, if you know people want more information on you and tactics and the, your articles and many other information that you present where can they go for more information
1: well i suggest that the best place for that is go to our organization's website i work for stand two reason an organization I founded 26 years ago. STR is the acronym. The website is str.org. And they'll notice, by the way, this is December, so if somebody wants to give an end-of-year gift to stand the Reason, they're going to get a signed copy of the new tactics book as our gift to them. And so all the details are there at str.org. Of course, they can go to, to Amazon if they want to knock one out quickly and you get it Amazon Prime, you'll get it in two days. So that's a, another way to get it as well. I know it's being featured right now in the Barnes & Noble bookstore. Somebody sent a picture of that. So these are all ways that they can get the book or they can get more information about us. Stand to Reason, S-T-R dot O-R-G. Lots and lots of good stuff there.
2: Yes, and the book we're talking about there is the 10th anniversary edition of Tactics fantastic book. I think it's one of the best on evangelism in our post-Christian culture today. And so we've been talking here with Greg Coco, president of Stand to Reason. So Greg, thanks for this great book and thanks for doing such a great job there at uh, not only engaging the lost world, but equipping Christians to engage their lost world for Christ.
1: Well, that's my heart, Pat, as you know, and I appreciate having some time on your show to do that.
0: out of time, thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally at 483-0586, or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukran.